0: Please be seated. Over the centuries, there have been numerous attempts to address the question as to how the events of Good Friday and Easter have any effect on our lives. If this is the fundamental story of salvation, then to what end or purpose are we being saved? And how is such salvation affected? Some have seen dealt with the cross as a satisfaction of God's honor through the shedding of blood. That's Anselm and you still see echoes of it in our older services. Others have seen a sort of mechanical idea of the cross, usually wrong-headed understanding of sacrifice by which somehow Jesus gets killed as the punishment for sin which is rightfully ours and takes that instead of us. That I suggest is a very prominent among many of our co-religionists, and I think it's quite wrong-headed. But for me, more fruitful and, 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 and fundamental is the relational category of participation. And it goes something like this. God participates in human life through the full humanity of Jesus. And Jesus, by his life of absolute integrity and full participation in all of human life, reveals the paucity of our expectations of ourselves and reveals the mechanisms by which we manage our anxiety, mechanisms that usually at some level result in violence. And this leads Jesus to the cross in the faith that the worst thing in life is not death, but the worst thing in life is breaking faith with the source of all life, love that made us for love. And so Jesus goes to his grave, fully dead, and God honors Jesus' fidelity and invites us in turn to participate in a radically new possibility for life in and through the resurrection. This is shorthand for the theology you've heard me working out in conversation and classes in pulpits and classroom over many years, and which you'll hear echoing again this year as we move through Lent and Holy Week and Easter. The key for today, however, is this idea of participation. God participating in our life in ways that open our minds and our hearts to new life, calling us to participate in the kind of life for which we were created. All the words we use to talk about God's, the effect of God being in our lives and God being in our midst point to this, salvation, atonement, healing, forgiveness, vocation, justice, all the other ways by which we describe the effects of God's presence in our midst. And so Lent we imagine as a journey, a journey in which we participate with Jesus toward Jerusalem and the inevitable events that will occur there. Today we hear of the Pharisees who have have been notable in their lack of concern for Jesus, urging him to flee urging him to change his course, to save his life. And Jesus refuses to be deterred from the path of integrity, the path toward Jerusalem, where all the mechanisms of death will be shown for what they are. We don't really know what he was imagining when he called Herod Antipas a fox and himself a mother hen. But if you've ever seen the carnage after a fox has broken into the hen house, then you know that the image is not a pretty one. I've read frequently uh, in the past that the image of Jesus as a mother hen is one of protection. But when I think about what a fat fox can and will do to a brood of chickens, it seems to be a pretty poor image of what protection is about. I would not want the chicken protecting me. <laughs> so it's about something else. The emphasis here appears to be more on the gathering. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Jesus appears to be lamenting the reality that so many in Jerusalem will not heed his prophetic words and gather for the way of life along with him. How could we not recall the lamentations of Jeremiah, who wept over the fate of Jerusalem, promising the people that in spite of their belief in the inviolability of Zion, God would destroy the city if they did not return to the ways of the Lord? And indeed, that's what happened. My eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people. What thing shall I liken to thee, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I equal to thee that I may comfort thee, O virgin daughter of Zion? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Surely, Jesus' desire here is that he can gather others into the way of life, the way of costly grace. The way of integrity in the face of all of the things that keep Jerusalem, and of course each of us, stuck in the ways of destruction. Whether it's complacency, material well-being, whether we scoff at the old stories, or whether we scoff at the rather odd practitioners of various religious traditions, or whether we're filled with disgust for those who would use God for the purposes of political demagoguery and on and on, whatever it is. That keeps Jerusalem and us stuck. Jesus yearns for us to set it aside and be gathered under the wings of love. Now Jesus will show us many of the ways in which we deal with the fundamental anxiety of living in a compromised world and the consequent anxiety in our various relationships. And he'll do it, he shows how we do it by creating scapegoats and doing violence to them. You've heard me before talk about two parents with anxiety in their relationship, and they focus on the child, and the child winds up bearing the symptoms. You've heard me talk before about how delicious gossip can bind us together at the expense of another, or even how a church can find the facsimile of unity at the expense of some excluded group. These are all the things that conspired to put Jesus to death. But It's harder for us to see those things that are gathered up with us, that are part of us, when we seek to follow Jesus to Calvary, even to the foot of the cross. It's hard to see our own fundamental inner conflicts about who we are and what is really important to us. We often have deep-rooted expectations about what is true and fundamental in the world, even when we successfully censor ourselves most of the time. I hope that some of you were able to see the recent production at the the Alliance of Ayad Akhtar's extraordinary play, Disgraced. Anyone? A couple of people. If you get a chance to see this play at some point in your life, do so. It's a remarkable exploration of race and assimilation, conflict and assumptions, civility and incivility, Islamophobia, much else besides. Amir Kapoor is the main character. He's an American-born Pakistani heritage, Upper East Side New Yorker of Muslim descent who is making his career as a successful mergers and acquisitions lawyer in Manhattan. And along the way, we learn something of his upbringing and why he denies any value to his own religious heritage, which he sees as fundamentally violent and fundamentally flawed. But at a dinner party with friends, I'm not going to unpack the whole story, but at a dinner party with friends, notably with plenty of alcohol to loosen everyone's inhibitions and tongues, We see him reverting to some very deep stuff from his own heritage and childhood of which he will be deeply ashamed. I won't go into how shocking is the behavior of everyone at the party, but in just one example, Amir, under duress spits in the face of his Jewish friend something very deep within him, very ancient, something he's rejected. And then he beats his wife. Does violence to her. He acts out of his reptilian brain. That oldest part of our, all of our evolving brains, the back part here is the part we share with reptiles, and it's deadly serious. And it's, it's reactive. It bypasses thought. The cortex in the middle is shared by mammals. It's the center of it's what we, we, we share with them, the capacity to be playful, think puppies. The neocortex, or the newest part of our brain, is the seat of higher thinking, art, creativity, philosophy, and so on. And whenever we become deadly serious about anything, then we're being reptilian. Whenever we find ourselves reactively resorting to violent acts, bypassing our rational processes, then we're being reptilian. And every one of us carries within ourselves the capacity to act in ways that we abhor. And that is a source of existential anxiety, especially when we prefer to deny its reality. If you're not sure about what I'm saying, think about traffic. Think about how you respond in traffic. I mean, we're talking about reptiles in cars, right? <laughs> we might think we're immune until we find ourselves suddenly having feelings about, which we can't even name, about a black man or a white woman or the child of an Hispanic immigrant in the White House. We'll end up doing violence to ourselves or others if we're not careful. It might, be feel, it might feel good feel good to be in the crowds at a political candidates rally in this election. But that good feeling in those rallies is always over against some other. It's the reality of Jerusalem. And it's the power of the raw power of the fox. And we do better to allow ourselves, warts and all, to be gathered under the mother hen's wings. Vulnerable? Yes. Headed to Calvary? Yes. But taking on the dark side, bringing light into the shadows, and finally claiming the freedom that comes with integrity, integrated lives, being the people we were created to be. The Lord of the universe participates in our lives so that we can be gathered into participating in the real life, the liberating life for which we were made. We began Lent on Ash Wednesday confronting our own mortality, And as we continue on the road to Jerusalem, we can do the work of recognizing within ourselves those violent ways by which we manage anxiety. We can resolve to hear the prophets and turn again to what is of true and ultimate worth, gathered under the wings, participating in the life of the Son of Man, the human one, the one of absolute integrity, the source of our reasonable and holy hope. And so in our customary silence this day, I invite you to set about naming as honestly as you can the source of your own anxiety, those things that bother you, those things that bother you even when you know they shouldn't, knowing that we'll not be destroyed by them if we resolve again to follow and share in the way of life. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.